Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, Yeah, you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on Mm -hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, we've had a, a great string of shows this week. Uh, you know, Tuesday, uh, we had a great show with uh, Michael Schuer, who is a former CIA agent, and then uh, also Colonel Mike as well. Fascinating conversation there. Yesterday, we had Carl Crew and Bishop uh, Larry Gators. Again, fascinating conversation. Yesterday's actually went almost three hours. I'm not anticipating that today, so I'm just uh, letting you guys know. But yesterday, if you want a really long episode, it could have gone on for six, and I would have been thoroughly entertained. Uh, but yeah, check that check that out um, and that sort of thing. Um, I'm really excited about uh, today's guest and having this conversation. I've been looking forward to uh, having her on for a while, but we've got Annie Cyrus on the podcast today. Uh, welcome to Conversations. I'm glad we could sit down and I'm really looking forward to, you know, people being able to hear your story and then we can kind of dive into some of the, some of the issues surrounding that as well. Well, thanks for having me on. I know it's been a while, but we finally made it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and, and I, and I, and I feel like it's one of those things too where I feel like hearing your story is going to be vitally important as well for people that maybe they, they're not as familiar with you or haven't heard your story. Just because I feel like the narrative right now around like Islam and all of that is that they're just like a peaceful religion. They're just minding their own business and they're going about and they're, you know, they're, the equivalent of, let's say, you know, a, another religion like Christianity or Judaism, Judaism or something like that. And, you know, I think it's important that people are hearing like what's actually going on in places like Iran and the Middle East and things like that. And so, you know, I'm really glad that, you know, we could sit down and we could, we could do this. Agreed. Yes, they are just like any other religion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so, you know, I'd like to start out and allow people to kind of hear your story from, from in your own words and just be able to, you know, kind of hear like what you experienced coming out of Islam and, and that whole thing. Uh, sure. Let me first start by my story as a Muslim. Uh, technically, it wasn't a choice. I was born into an um, Islamic family. 
after the Islamic Revolution in my motherland, being Iran, some people call it Iran. Uh, so it was an Islamic country and an Islamic family. So by no choice, I was automatically labeled a Muslim and I was raised a Muslim. With that, being a girl, uh, at age nine, I was announced a full adult woman. And this had nothing to do with my family, but had everything to do with Sharia, which is the law of the land in Iran. And from there on, being an adult woman, I was responsible for my own actions. And I can simply say, by being a very much normal teenager, I ended up being completely a criminal. I mean, literally, I was arrested, put in prison more than 12 times. I was lashed more than 100 times. I spent hours and nights in prison with actual adult women who have committed real crimes. And pretty much with that, by about before reaching age 14, my father, being a sheikh, which is a high-level Islamic leader, decided that I need to be somebody else's problem. And again, because I was an adult woman under Sharia, he had the right to turn me into somebody's wife, and he did. Uh, so they, they basically sold me to marriage with this guy, and I spent about a year some being the wife of this person. I I can't explain, but I'm just going to put it this way. The entire time I was, I was his punching bag. Um, if he wasn't raping me, he was beating me. If he wasn't beating me, he was raping me. And sometimes, to be honest, he was doing both. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Um, and by age 15, uh, past 15, my grandmother finally managed to hire a smuggler to get me out of the country, a smuggler to Turkey, where I went to United Nations, uh, sixth asylum, waited my turn, and legally with green card came to America when I was finally 18. So that's my story as an, as a Muslim, as they called me. And then obviously, Someone like me, when you have the freedom not to be a Muslim, you go ahead and become an ex-Muslim. And I thought that's when my life was going to get beautiful because now I'm in America. I have all the freedom I could ask for. I can choose my religion. I can choose my career. I can choose to be single or married or not, whatever the case might be. So I went ahead and started life until I come to realize the moment I became an ex-Muslim, Sharia followed me everywhere, and with that, I earned myself a bounty of death for becoming an ex-Muslim. And on top of that, I got uh, issued a bounty of a stoning for running away from my husband in Iran. So, I decided to come out and speak out against what's going on because, well, I'm already, you know, 
considered dead. So I might as well poke the bear a little further. And that's how it all started. What I do is I tell people what Islam means, what it means to live under Islam, and what it means to decide to not be a Muslim. Yeah. Well, and, and the fascinating thing is, it, like to me, is that you've got you've got people like Ilhan Omar that are, you know, basically defend, defending Islam, you know, kind of constantly throughout. And, you know, it's religion of peace and they don't, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at, this, but at the same time, what's fascinating to me is that it seems like the left is embracing Islam with like open arms and turning a complete blind eye to a lot of the abuses like exactly like what you went through. And it's like, if you're going to be a party that's supposed to be defending women, but then you're allowing, you're like defending a religion that allows exactly what you went through. It's like, I don't understand how they kind of are able to mesh those two ideologies together. Like what's, what's the strategy or like, what are they, what are they doing where they're like turning a blind eye to these abuses within Islam? Well, let's just start from the first thing you said, Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar defends Islam, of course. She publicly has said she would be more than happy to push for Sharia uh, to be implemented in our laws and replacing our constitution. She wears the hijab, she does the prayer, she does everything. Not everything exactly as a good Muslim woman, but she does the best she could in Western country. Now, she is also a refugee like myself. She was a baby when she came to America. But she is one of those refugees that didn't come here to become an American. She came here with the mentality that it is because of Western countries like America that she had to run from her motherland. Keep that in mind. I always say mentality plays a huge role of who we become. I came here running from what was in hopes of becoming a better life. She came here in hopes of taking revenge from a country that caused her immigration. And she hasn't been shy. She has shown her hatred for our constitution. She has showed her hatred for our president, for America, for anyone who stands for American values. And she's in the best position. She is a Muslim. I've always said, Islam is at war with humanity. Now, if you have so much hatred, if you have so much revenge in mind, best position to be is a practicing Muslim like Ilhan Omar. Now, the left is a separated story. Left is not defending women. Left doesn't defend anyone. Left defends one agenda, and that is we got to burn down America and build our deluded utopia on the ashes left behind, which is socialism, full control, dictatorship. Now, you put those three together, what does it represent? Again, Islam. Under Islam, it's a complete brainwashed system of life. Under Sharia, it tells you how to sleep, how to eat, how to walk, how to walk into the bathroom, how to build your house. That's the perfect image left is looking for. They will lose, use any tool they can to take down America. So you put those two together, it's a perfect match. Muslim woman being the face of the left makes perfect sense when you know what's behind both those pictures. Yeah, I mean it, that that make, that does make perfect sense. Now, is is this like an intentional thing of like a partnership to a certain degree between Islam and and the and the let's say let's call them the globalists or the left or the socialists or that sort of thing? Is it like an actual like arm in arm partnership, or is it just kind of like the ideologies mesh to to that degree, and it just happens that they're supporting each other in that way? Well, in in minds of the left, yes, it's an equal partnership. 
in mind of Islam? No. I have actually always said all of these leftists who are supporting Islam and Islamization, they need to realize when Islam is superior, they don't care who you are. Your choices are convert or kill. You'll be converting to Islam or you'll die. Every single leftist who thinks supporting Muslims is diversity and being nice to them needs to realize when they become superior in this country. And I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when, because I know they will. When they become superior in this country, they don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. They don't care if you're a man or a woman. You will be given a chance to become a Muslim. You say, no, you're done. So on, on left, on the, the leftists, they do think that they are in an equal partnership. But in reality, they're not. Now, the Muslims do know the reality. They know they're just using the useful idiots of the left to further their agenda. Yeah. Well, and I think that then that kind of begs into the question of it seems like there is a huge discrepancy between like like what you're describing about about like Islam and then how they're being portrayed in media and in in the news and just like even like individual people here in America that that might be Islamic, right? It seems like you know they're trying to portray it as you know they're they're a religion of peace. Um, they're just like everybody else. They're they're not abusive. They're just you know trying to love everybody and that sort of thing. But then it seems there's this major discrepancy. And that what they'll say is, oh well, those people that are abusive, those are just the extremist terrorists. Like those crazy people over there, they're not a part of Islam. Like. Is it all like is it is that the abusive part is the terroristic part is that all actual Islam or are they just like fringe crazy people way off in the distance? Oh no, that's the actual Islam. That's the thing. If you read the Quran, the holy book of the religion of peace contains fifty one percent on how to deal with non Muslims, and here are how you deal with them: you fight them, you kill them, you convert them. 51% of their holy book focuses on how to get rid of non-Muslims. How do we call that the religion of peace? More than half of the so-called religion, it's about how to be superior, how to outnumber non-Muslims, how to trick them into becoming a Muslim. Even further in the Quran, it teaches you how to lie to non-Muslims to save your life so you can continue in the cause of Allah. Yeah. And And by the way, my favorite part of this um, contradiction is, oh, the terrorist has hijacked Islam. That's my favorite part. Yeah. Well, and and that's the fascinating thing is that, he, you know, in, in, you know, you know, following people like like Usama Dakdok, and they're talking about like how you know maybe there's like different translations that are here in America of the Quran versus what's going on in the Middle East and things like that. It it it, it seems like it's almost like they're they're coming in almost like a Trojan horse coming in under peace, and then it's so that way they can get a, a foothold, and then they can come back in with true Islam. Like, do you feel like that's kind of what they're doing here? Of course. Again, I, I will go back to Quran. Chapter 47, verse 35 says, And do not call on peace when you are superior. Right now, they don't have a choice. If they come out guns blazing, they're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So they have to come in as those who did this hijacked Islam and those 
misunderstood Islam and this and that, those who are in front of camera representing the Muslim community are going to play nice. But then again, if you look close enough, they're not even playing nice. Again, going back to Ilhan Omar, going to Linda Sarsour, she officially called on jihad on a speech. She clearly said the following, we are not here to assimilate. She said it. No one listened. That's the thing. The, the second thing they're using, first of all, they're using our constitution against us, freedom of religion. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforumc.org. They are hiding under a mask of religion. Secondly, they're using our own lack of attention. That's one thing America suffers from. We are so used to reading the headline and not the article itself. We read the name of the uh, video and judge it right there. We don't put the time into reading, listening, word by word. They are using that. Yeah. Well, in, in what's really interesting to me, too, about this is, you know, it seems like they're using a lot of these things like like interfaith dialogues and things to try to get a foothold even in like Christian religions and other religions as well. Like, you know, and it seems like it's almost like a PR move on their part to try to get credibility. You know, that like that's really what, you know, kind of, you know, gave me a platform to a certain degree was getting involved in the debate with uh, back in the day when uh, James White had his interfaith dialogue with Yasser Qadi. And it was, it seemed to be putting Islam on the same platform, let's say, as like Christianity or the same platform as, as other religions. And it was totally like, like, uh, acting as if, you know, it, like, like we were saying before, Islam is innate, is a religion of peace and those terrorists, they denounce them and all that kind of stuff. But then I'm getting like people messaging me and saying like, well, Yasser Qadi's, you know, works with care. He works with these terrorist organizations and all this kind of stuff. And it, it's like there's so many red flags. Like, do you feel like interfaith dialogue is a, is it is an intentional strategy on their part to get credibility? Well, of course, that's that's um, OK. Let me put it this way. There, there are different types, types of jihad. Majority of people are familiar with when you say jihad, they remember September 11th. Uh, but there is more to jihad than just go kill them. 
there is one known as financial jihad. Here's the best example. 90% of grocery stores nowadays are selling halal meat or halal product. Part of that halal product uh, profit is going to go at zakat, which is the Islamic tax. And you know where it goes? It goes to local mosque. And the local mosque imam will decide what to do with it. One third of it, either he likes it or not, needs to go toward actual jihad for cause of Allah. Right there is your financial jihad. And it doesn't matter. You might not buy the halal product at the store, but the preceding, the entire store income will be taxed under Islam. So even if you just went and bought yourself a beer, part of your beer money is going to go for jihad. Number two, it's called political jihad. Perfect example, Hussein Obama. When he took the office, opened the door, welcomed Muslim Brotherhood in. And then there is social jihad or civilization jihad. Now that interfaith dialogue is part of that. Let's be friends. And when you turn your back, I will stab you in the back. That's exactly how it is. If you actually pay attention to interfaith dialogue, how does it work? A pastor will send his people to the mosque or the imam will come to his church and talk to his people, correct? Right. There is never a scene when a pastor goes to a ch- mosque and talks to Muslims. There is never a scene when Muslims are sent to the church to listen to the pastor. The one-way street of Islamization. And no one has asked the question of, hey, listen, that imam, I let you come to my church and talk to my people and lie saying you believe in Jesus because the Jesus that's mentioned in Quran was prophet of Islam, not Christianity. How about you let me come to your mosque and talk to your people? No, nobody's doing that. So yes, it's definitely part of the entire Islamization where they're going to start converting those who are ready to convert. Using lies or not, many people are willing to convert. One of the things they're using right now Based on freedom in America, some say America is as godless as it has ever been. The number of churches, the number of synagogues compared to atheism or those who prefer to be Christians in their own home, Muslims are using that. They are brainwashing the devout Christians into how Islam is a better way because we don't leave our mosques closed. Even on their COVID-19 quarantine, we reopen them for Ramadan. That's how devout we are. That's how much we believe in Allah, who's the same God as yours. Yeah. Well, it, 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 now that's the interesting thing, too, how you were saying it's, it's kind of like a one-way street when it comes to like the interfaith dialogues. And it, that made me kind of even have more red flags specifically about that situation that I cited before about James White and Yasser Qadi, where they actually allow James White to go in the mosque and, and participate in the interfaith dialogue in there. And to me, it seemed like, okay, so if that's happening and they're allowing him to come into mosque kind of, you know, he, and I know he travels all over the country, like what's their motive there for allowing a Christian to come into their territory? And that, that seemed very interesting to me and kind of a red flag to me, like what's going on here? Let me ask you this. Have you actually heard that dialogue? Have you actually seen the video of that uh, interview or interfaith dialogue that, yeah. that took place? Yeah. Okay. So if, if you recall, 
Why wasn't there talking about Christianity? He wasn't there inviting anyone to um, accept Jesus as their savior. He was there to confirm that the Jesus of Islam is the Jesus of Christianity. They allowed those in their mosque who are there to vouch for the Imam. They would never allow a priest who will preach Christianity. Because that technically under Quran, in Quran, that is forbidden. You are not allowed to let anyone into a mosque who is going to say anything but Allah is God and Muhammad is his messenger. That, that, see, that, that's very interesting because that, that was one of my critiques was that, you know, like James White wasn't, you know, didn't actually preach the gospel, right? And, you know, and there, and there was one thing where he said, where he, where like he was defending himself, uh, you know, in one of, one of, you know, kind of going back and forth on Twitter and that sort of thing. And he was like, well, here's the clip where I did. And it was literally the most, the most that he said was, I hope that someday you guys can become Christians. And it's like, that's not the same, really. Um, but, you know, it just, it just seemed like the whole thing was basically trying to say, look, there's a lot of similarities. There's, there's, there's a, like, when, cause when you think about it, there's a lot of, there is a lot of similarities in the sense of the names that are in there. And it seems like Islam is kind of hijacking, especially a lot of the Old Testament scripture and things like that. And like almost like redefining a lot of the stories, redefining a lot of the Old Testament prophets and things like that. And it seems like, I don't know. It just seems like they're they're trying to make it seem like the Bible and the Quran can coexist and they can both be true. It's just it's very very strange to me. Well, here's the thing: if you look at it, Muhammad came along as the last prophet of Allah. That's how Muhammad appeared in the Quran. Muhammad is introduced as well. Islam is introduced as perfected religion. And we send you Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, in the Quran, the holy book of Islam, to represent the perfected religion, the religion of truth. Everything before Muhammad exists, they are there. We confirm they are there. But Muhammad overwrites all of them. Quran overwrites all of them. When that didn't work, because a lot of Jews and Christians, basically in Hadith, you'll see that they tell Muhammad that nothing much is different about what you're saying. How did you perfect my religion? That's when things changed. That's when verses like, oh, oh, who, you who have believed, do not take Christians and Jews as your allies, as they are each other's allies, started appearing. That's when they said, Jesus was nothing but a prophet. Those Christians who said otherwise shall be killed. He started that motto. He started thinking people are going to say, oh, okay, perfected religion. We're just going to go follow you. When that failed, because there was nothing different. Yes, a lot of verses in Quran, if you read them, you can easily see it was literally stolen from Bible place there. People back then are like, okay, I don't see a difference. I don't really see a need to believe in another prophet. When that failed... Yes, it changed. Mm -hmm. So there are verses in Quran where they can definitely use to say, hey, they're very much, they can coexist. But then there are verses that someone like me cannot go in there and show where Christians are going to realize they better go home and never come back to that mosque again. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now what's what's interesting? I was just looking at the comments here on Facebook, and and uh, Susan posted a comment. She said, "What blew me away about the James White and Yasser Qadi dialogue was in was when White said that Qadi was a kindred spirit, and and I feel like that was one of those things where you're totally giving credibility to 
a false religion like this. You're totally giving credibility to somebody that is a religious leader of this religious organization that he himself has some very questionable at best ties to some really dangerous stuff. And I felt like that, that, that in and of itself, if you took everything else away, that him saying that he's a kindred spirit, I thought was very, very dangerous, not only to like relations between Christianity and Islam, but then also like when you think about it, it's like you're giving credibility to this religion that, you know, and the, and this man here in America, like, that alone is very dangerous. Yes, it is. But here's the thing. If you talk to any of the Christians or even rabbis, Jews, who are involved with interfaith dialogue, I have actually done this. I have talked to a few of them. None of them have ever even read the Quran. They had a sit-down with the imam or the representative of Islam. They had a sit-down and exchange notes, and they just went to the meeting. And that's the problem. I normally go with, please read the Quran. If you don't have time or the uh, stomach to read the whole thing, at least read chapter 4, 5, and 9. That will give you everything you need. None of these people involved with interfaith dialogue have bothered to sit there and read the Quran. There are a bunch of uneducated people on the topic trying to be part of something that cannot exist, which is interfaith dialogue. Yeah. Those are the ones that I always say, they'd rather be the nice guys than stand for the truth. Yeah, no, that, that's, 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 very, that's very true. Um, now, now is, is their ultimate strategy, and I think you kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier, but is their ultimate strategy to ultimately completely take over? America and make it an Islamic nation? Like, like what, what is their ultimate strategy in coming over here? Is it just to destroy it from within and just kind of like get rid of us as a superpower? Like what, what's their actual strategy here? Well, here's the thing. It's um, bottom line is as much as I love America, this isn't about America itself. Um, in Islam, day of peace will arrive when every breathing human is a Mohammedan, meaning a Muslim. Uh, again, in Islam, technically, it says every human was born a Muslim, and those who decide to turn their back or their parents decided for them or whatever, they need to either come back to the roots of Islam or die. So bottom line for Islamic caliphate is to have Islamic caliphate everywhere. Remove all borders, the entire earth become one Islamic caliphate. So America or UK or Canada or anywhere doesn't matter at the bottom. However, taking America is a huge boost for us being the superpowers. No matter how you look at it, the constitution we have in America does not exist anywhere else. America is the strongest freedom land. We're going to stand against Islam. Well, we could, but thanks to you know, the vision going on in our country. I don't know if we can anymore. Point is, yes, they need to take that constitution down. Target is not Americans. Target is not our president. Target is our constitution. And if you look around, thanks to the left, they have actually made great progress. Look at this COVID-19 situation. How easily we all gave in deleted constitution for almost two months from our life, followed the rules. Technically, we were following rules, not laws. 
And that's where a lot of them are happening. And a lot of these Islamizations are happening where American people are not differentiating between rules and laws. They're different. Rules are not following constitution. Therefore, we are not obligated to follow them. We have given up on that understanding. So yes, bottom line, they are targeting our constitution. Yeah, and, and that and that makes that makes perfect sense too. That it, it really, I think, when, when if you can take down the constitution, you can take down that unifying factor of freedom and liberty, which flies in the face of a lot of the Islamic teachings and things like that. Now, what what specifically, let's say, about the constitution? Just maybe people that aren't as familiar with the ins and outs of like Islam and things like that. What is it about the constitution that uh, that they really want to destroy. What is it that flies in the face of what Islam believes that uh, that makes the Constitution so dangerous to Islam? Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. First Amendment. Literally First Amendment. Under Islam, there is no freedom of religion. Therefore, they can control you. You stay a Muslim or you die. We have freedom of religion. They can come kill us. Well, they can, but not legally. They can kill us for not being Muslims or being ex-Muslims. Number two, under Islam, it is absolutely forbidden and punishable by death, mockery of Muhammad, mockery of Allah, or anything under blasphemy law. First Amendment protects that because we have freedom of speech. Under Islam, it is absolutely forbidden, punishable by up to seven years of prison and 100 lashes if you ever question the decision of the caliph or the supreme leader, or the Islamic leader of the Islamic society. We have the freedom of assembly. You see how dangerous that is for them? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and again, I think to a certain degree, maybe because we've had, obviously, the Constitution since the founding of our country, I feel like a lot of Americans have, ta- have really taken it for granted over the last several decades. And so then now... I think finally it seems like there's starting to be some kind of like, um, hey, guys, like 
you know, we're supposed to have these rights here, and you're taking away even our ability to go to church. You're taking away our right to peaceably protest. You're taking away all of our rights and all of this. And so now, finally, people are maybe some on a small scale starting to wake up. But it's like we went so long in good times, and then all of a sudden now our rights are being taken away. And I, I, I think it's a toss-up how many rights we're actually going to get back, which, again, is going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out coming out of this coronavirus uh, crisis. Exactly. And that and that's why I always say um, it's not just the fact that I'm an ex-Muslim. It's the matter of I come from a country. Iran, before 1979, was known as mini America in Middle East. We didn't call it that. American reporters, newsletters, TV stations would refer to Iran as mini America. If you look at the pictures from back then and put them next to American pictures of back then, they look alike. The fashion, buildings, even music. Starting 1979, it became Islamic Republic of Iran, and no one has been able to take it back yet. Now, keep in mind, Iran, also known as Persia, has over 2,700 years of history. Are you telling me? The mini-America that had an exact mirror image of our Constitution minus Second Amendment was conquered. And somehow we won't be. Yeah. Well, no, no. What, how, how, did, how did Iran get conquered like that? You know what I mean? In, in, in such a short period of time. Like, how were they able to do that? Well, here's how it happened. It all started from a bunch of people supposedly being tired of the king of Iran living such a luxurious life. They started rallies and they started complaining. Then Khomeini came along, the, the, the um, Islamic leader who was exiled by, Shah, by King of Iran back then. He was in France. Uh, I actually sometimes say the biggest, the biggest mistake the King of Iran ever made was didn't punish him by death and rather exiled him. He came along and basically took leadership of the, of the protest by making the following promises. See if anybody sound familiar. Let's overthrow the king, turn the country over to me, and I will give you free education, free healthcare, free housing, free utility. And guess what happened? People got behind him. It's the, same, it's the same old story. What he forgot to mention. Exactly. What he forgot to mention and people didn't ask was, oh, I will also control every aspect of your life and I will kill you if you don't say a good obeying Muslim. Came revolution. Within 90 days, he changed the constitution from what was into complete Sharia. To this day, you can look up actually Islamic Republic of Iran's constitution is available in English online. And the very top, it says, this constitution has been written based on words of Allah, life of Muhammad. It's complete Sharia. Everything about 100% Sharia. In 90 days, he changed the constitution and started applying it. Hijab became mandatory for every woman in country. If you weren't willing to bear it, you would face consequences. And I mean serious consequences. They would pen, actual pen, your hijab to your forehead. If you were wearing makeup, they would use cloth dipped in acid to wipe it off your face. 
If your legs were showing, they would shove it into bags of live cockroaches. These aren't made up stories. You can find them on YouTube. There are videos or testimonies. And you know what's the saddest part? I wasn't even born when the revolution happened. Revolution was 79. I was born in 83. Guess what? I paid the highest price of it, not my parents. I always say this fight isn't about us. It's about the next generation. Because they will have to obey what's done to our country. Yeah, well, it's what's what's fascinating is you know, as you were talking too is the direct parallels that are happen that happen with with Iran, and I know and I know that that's a, it's what you're saying too. But the direct parallels that were happening with Iran and what we're seeing, especially in this election cycle, with people like Bernie Sanders and AOC and how they've taken the Democratic Party to that extreme, it's almost they're like parroting the same strategy minus the religious aspect of it. Um, which again should show there, there's some serious, serious issues that we need to be aware of that it just seems like people are just like tuning out all of the red flags because, hey, it's free stuff. You know, it's free school, free everything. Yeah, but, but here's my question. Anyone with a better brain should think the following. Who's going to pay for all that for your stuff? Who? The, because some people back, back in the time in Iran, some did, and they asked, who's going to pay for all this for your stuff? And the non-educated part of society started saying, it's Iran, we have saffron, we have pistachio, we have oil, we have opium, that will pay for it. No, that just pays for luxurious life of imams and leaders and their children and their families. Over 73% of population in my motherland are living under the line of poverty today. And I just gave you the four things that my motherland offers. No one should ever go hungry in my motherland. It's a very, very rich country. But no, when it goes under hands of a dictatorship of any form, either Islamic, socialist, Bernie Sanders, or Khomeini, all the same, they're not going to give you that money. They're not going to give None of the free stuff that was promised ever happened. It didn't. But yeah, nobody's asking the right question. Well, few of us are, but majority aren't. It's just free stuff. Here's a COVID-19 example. Did we really get any free stuff? No. People lost their home. They lost their jobs. What happened? Some possibly got their check and some haven't. And the check, I believe, is the $1,200. Who are you going to feed with that? This was a perfect example of their promises. Where are they? Yeah. What happened to all the free stuff? Why couldn't we get a month free of rent or mortgage? They have helped in a way of pushing it for next month. Your debt is not going anywhere. It's just piling up for later on when you have a job to pay it. Don't confuse that with free stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely, and, and and that's the thing about about all all of this is that you know they're giving they're sending out twelve hundred dollars. I mean, out here in California, that's going to pay like a third of your rent or half of your rent. I mean, you know, let alone and and the thing is, we're on lockdown. You know, it's been what a, a pushing two months now, and it's like so we got twelve hundred dollars. That's supposed to last us two months. 
What about rent? What about groceries? What about, you know, necessities? Like, you can't survive on on that kind of stuff. And I think that that's indicative of the problem with this big government ideology and this socialistic ideology. They promise you things, but when push comes to shove, it's not actually going to get you by. And it's going to be pushed. It's going to be widening that gap between the ultra wealthy and then the rest of us that it's it's either you're going to be wealthy or you're going to be poor. There's going to be no middle ground. And it just seems like whenever this kind of ideology happens, you start to see more and more extreme poverty. And that's one of my big nervous things coming out of this whole coronavirus crisis is how much poverty are we going to see coming out of this? Exactly. How do we recover? Somebody was excited, got me a message this morning of, yay, our state lifted, their state lifted the um, lockdown. Like, congratulations. Now what? Now what? You really think everybody's going to start hiring now? Small businesses are head hard. There's no way they can afford to hire people. There's no way they can extend their businesses to a point where they can feed other people's mouth. No, the hard part wasn't the lockdown. The hard part is how do we recover from this? Yeah. In, now, 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 when we're dealing with like a lot of this, and we're dealing with like the ideology from uh, from like Islam and all that kind of stuff. Is that would you say that in Islam countries that it's going to be more socialistic in that sense? Like, because like you were saying, like in Iran, you know, they promised all the free stuff and that sort of thing. Um, is, is it going to be going along the lines of socialism? Like, are they parroting uh, what what Bernie Sanders is is preaching and stuff, except they're adding the religious aspect of it? Or how does that work out? Oh yeah, that's exactly the same. Uh, Promises are the same. I, the very first time I actually ever heard Bernie Sanders talking, I literally looked at my TV. I'm like, wow, deja vu. All you're missing is long beard and the Islamic outfit. You are Khomeini, Khomeini in America. Every promise, even the tone, the way he was explaining it, the same. Now, of course... When it comes to conquering, now let me let me quickly get sidetracked here. One thing I wanted to add is when you ask me why they're targeting America, they targeted Iran, as I said, because Iran was the mini America in the Middle East. As long as Iran was not Islamic, if you look back in history, none of these madness was going on in in Middle East. It was pretty calm, pretty calm. When they conquered Iran is when they had the power to start all these terrorism out of the Middle East. Because the country of Iran helped the power and the constitution and the history of knowing better than some barbaric law. And that's why they're targeting America today, too. The, on the East, Iran was the power. In the West, America is the power. So as soon as they take down America or conquer America, their life is that much easier to just go finish off the West. Back to your question is, when they conquered Iran, not only there was no free stuff. Let me give you a couple of examples of normal life in Iran, just as an average person. You don't, first of all, if you're a woman, you don't have a job. The only way you have a job is if your male guardian sign off on two papers, one, you're allowed to work, two, you're allowed to work at this specific place. Other than that, you don't get to have a job. You don't own a business. You don't even own a property. All of that requires a handwritten authorization from your male guardian, might be your father, your husband, 
If none of those alive, your grandfather from father's side or your brother. One of those people needs to sign up on your life. Now, even as a man, unless you're somewhat connected to all these mullahs and imams of the country, you don't get to have your ideal job. No. You first pass an interview with morality police. Then you go for the job interview. The smallest crime committed as a morality crime, you won't get a job. That's the extent of how much they control everybody's life. Yeah. Anything and everything you want to do needs approval. That is socialism. As I said, the only difference, as you said, the only difference is there's a, a you know icing on the cake called Islam, which is the religious supposedly aspect of it. It's just a control. Everything is controlled. You don't have a life. And that's what I try to get Americans to understand. I know it's hard to even wrap your head around an idea of somebody controlling your life, but maybe this COVID-19 lockdown gave you an idea. Yeah. And, and see, like that, that's, that's the crazy thing about, about this coronavirus lockdown is, is how many Americans actually support it and want it to continue. Uh, you know, I, I've been, I've been seeing a lot of polls and even just like talking to people, um, you know, whether it's friends or people on social media or whatever it might be. And a lot of people are, are like, no, we need, we need to keep this going. Like, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, it, you know, we're willing to give up our rights for safety. And it seems like that's, that seems to be the consensus in general with Americans, which again, it seems like we're taking our rights for granted. And it's like, okay, so if we, if we give up our rights now, six months down the road, a year down the road, three years down the road, we may never get them back. And to me, that's what's scary. Okay, here's the thing. Human nature is to give up everything and anything for safety. That's just human nature. I would say it's not just American. My fellow Iranians in Iran, a lot of them, 70% of them easily, don't fight back. They sit home because they know they'd be killed. They don't even ask for rights. They just want to be alive. So that's human nature. But the question is, for example, again, back to my motherland, Iranians don't have much to fight with. There are no rights. There are no guns. There's no unity. There's not much left. If you're going to give up our rights today, we might as well forget about ever fighting back. The only time as a, as, as a society you can possibly, you are capable of fighting is when you do have rights. The moment you lose that right, you're done fighting. You are. It's kind of like having a hand. I don't know. I can do so much with my hands right now. But if they're cut off, how, how am I going to do it again? Do I remember how to do it? Yes, but I, I can't do them. I, that's how I look at our Constitution. Again, maybe just because I come from a life where I didn't have a life. When I got here, after learning a little bit of English, a little bit of culture to understand what I'm doing, I started studying the Constitution. I couldn't believe it. When people would tell me about my rights, I would look at them like, huh? What? Don't mess with me. I actually would take someone as they're messing with me. The first time ever they told me that I can actually do what a man does, I was like, oh, that is funny. Okay, so what are the things I can do? 
The whole thing was I cannot. I came to this country as an 18-year-old girl with a mentality of, tell me what it is I cannot do. It wasn't about what can I do. I needed the list of what I can't do because that's where I come from. All the list of what I am not capable of doing or allowed to do just because I'm a female. Maybe that's why I understand the importance of the rights we have in America because I didn't have them. I wasn't born into it. I had to earn it. So I'm holding on to it like your life. But a lot of Americans don't understand just because it's there doesn't mean it's going to be there forever. It's just like our own life. If you're not going to take it seriously, and please let me just make a note here. I'm not saying COVID-19 doesn't exist. I don't say that. What I'm saying is being responsible is a better way of dealing with it than being a bunch of cowards locked down in our apartments and houses while losing our rights. Keep your distance. Be careful. Wash your hand. Whatever the science part of it says. But to agree, I'm going to sit inside, I'm going to shut down my business, I'm going to close down a school, I'm going to give up on life because you said so is not Americanized. Not America, I'm known. I came here, I was told people here do not take anybody's BS. Last two months, I've seen otherwise. A lot of people complain, but nobody's doing anything about it. Same thing with Islamization. A lot of people complain about how their local mosque is loud and the hijabi woman is bothering them, but nobody's speaking out against it. And that is the problem. We are very good at complaining. We're not really good at doing anything about it. No, I, I, I totally agree with you there. And, and, I, and I think to a certain degree, there's also a parallel between, and again, a lot more extreme when you're dealing with like the Middle East countries and the Islamic countries and things like that. But like you were saying, like to a certain degree, you it, this was that way of life was reinforced to you your entire life. Right. And so in your mind, that was reality. And I think that maybe to a certain degree here in America, we're seeing somewhat of that, obviously not as extreme. But when you see children are basically being reinforced, this socialistic, progressive ideology from a very young age, essentially preschool all the way up through college. Of course, a lot of a lot of the younger people are going to be a lot more pro-socialism. That's the crowd that's supporting people like Bernie Sanders and, the, and things like that. It's almost like they don't know any different because that's what they've been taught for twenty years, the first twenty years of their life. And it's it's like at a certain point, it's going to take a lot of work to undo all of that brainwashing that that kids have been getting for their entire life. Like, do you feel like there's that going on as well? Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Oh, absolutely. And that's another part of when I feel like I, I, I might 
Uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I'm a blonde person. I feel like lack of parenting in this country has a huge role on what, where we're standing. A lot of parents just trusted the schools to do the right thing. They haven't checked the homework of their children or the topics that are being taught at school. There are very few parents who know there's an actual Islam class going on in the schools. They don't, they don't do the parenting last generation did or generation before them did. When you let schools educate your children, this is what happens. Because First of all, most of the schools belong to the left. They will teach our children, they will raise our children the way they need to be. They're a bunch of AOC now. They are. They, are, they feel entitled. I deserve all that for yourself. No, you don't. But that's the thing, lack of parenting. That part is not solely the fault of the left. Lack of parenting plays a huge role on that too. That's why I always say get back into being involved with your children's life. Stop taking away those tablets and the smartphones and all that and start talking to your children. Those children are our future. They are going to be the future congressmen and senator and president and vice presidents of America. If you're not going to teach them what the reality of American values are, don't expect them to run the country with our values because they don't know the values, which exactly is what you were saying. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I remember even seeing like at the beginning of this whole uh, coronavirus, uh, you know, like lockdown and all that kind of stuff. There was a principal that sent a letter to parents, uh, you know, with, now, now that kids are being forced to stay at home and things like that. And they said, don't do school with your kids. Don't try to teach them. That's our job. You go play a game. You go do something fun with them. And like, that's your job. Our job is to do the training. And I feel like that in and of itself was more eye opening to a lot of people where, no, this, this, what they're doing, they're actually trying to control what your kids are thinking. And that's where parents need Mm -hmm. to take control. And, you know, if you're sending your kid to public school, sit down with them after they get back, find out what they're learning, you know, things like that. You know, a lot of people are going down the homeschooling route or sending their kids to Christian schools and things like that. It's like, we got to start taking responsibility for making sure that our kids in the, in the future generations actually understand why we have a constitution, why we have freedom, why we have everything set up the way that it is. And I think that that's the really dangerous part looking forward to the future of America right now. Exactly. And that's how every school in Michigan Every public school in Michigan ends up serving nothing but halal meat starting 2020 school time because Muslim parents are deeply involved. They are making threats with lawsuits. They're offended, and they want just halal meat on that menu while the non-Muslim kids are eating that halal food and the non-Muslim parents are paying for that halal food because they just don't want to bother to go to school and say, my kid isn't a Muslim, and he or she is not going to eat the whole all meat. Yes. Unfortunately, we need to start stepping up our game. On all aspects of life, we need to start paying attention. And then we need to take action, if we care. Yeah. And now, now, how do, how do you feel like the, like, cause we've got, we've got this election coming up, heading into, heading into 2020. And obviously it's, it's like two extremes. You've got something like Donald Trump and it seems like pro capitalism and all that kind of stuff on one side. And then you've got full on, practically full on socialism and leftism and progressivism on the other side. Like, do you feel like if, 
Americans make the wrong choice in this next election? Do you feel like there is a chance to turn things around afterwards? Or do you feel like that's pushing this, you know, we're going over the cliff there? Oh, we're going over the cliff there. There is no making mistake. No, 2020 election is it. Make it or break it. Uh, uh, four years ago, maybe we had a chance. The 2020, no. And I go back to uh, the Islamic supremacy in our government right now is beyond a repair. So if, if we give them a leader who's going to follow their footsteps, we're done. We're done. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, like um, – you know, uh, I, I was at a conference when Phil Haney, when he was still alive, and he was talking about a, a lot like Islam and interfaith dialogue and stuff, you know, within the government and things like that. It's really interesting how even a lot of Islamic leaders and things like that have really been infiltrating even like the FBI and the CIA and a lot of our, you know, governmental programs and things like that. And they're gaining influence in those areas. And it seems like there's like a joining of, you know, an open arms coming from like the FBI with these Islamic mosques that have ties to, to terrorism and things like that. Like, it just seems like they're trying to do everything they can to reinforce their belief and establish themselves while pushing Christians and Jews and other religions completely out the other way, which again, we're, we're going into what's the future of our country going to be? And it just seems like they're, the Islamic uh, leaders are getting more and more of a foothold into even like our government and who makes the rules and laws and that sort of thing as well. So you're actually seeing the Islamization that I talk about. Yep. Step by step, infiltrate the right places. Now, 2020 election, America makes the wrong leader. We're done. Next step of them is do not call for peace while you're superior. Yes. Every corner of our government right now is either run by Muslims or advised to by Muslims. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Now, how, how, do, you, how do you think Trump has done in dealing with Islam and how things have been going uh, in in how he's been dealing with things happening in the Middle East and things like that. Do you feel like he he understands what's going on, or do you feel like maybe he's in over his head? What's your take on him when it comes to all this? I do not believe he understands the Islamization aspect. No, I don't. Uh, he does. He does have, or at least his advisors have, somewhat of an understanding of how to handle Middle East. But that's all, not because of the Islamic aspect of it, just because of the Middle Eastern aspect of it. As far as I would say, he has not made, in my eyes, he hasn't made any progress. He has been able to make, basically put it on hold, freeze it. That's all. That's all he has done. And that's why for the last four years, I have been trying so hard by writing and emailing and shouting out in all possible ways to get five minutes with him. He does not have anyone well, he did, not anymore. He doesn't have anyone who even has a clear understanding of what Islam stands for. He doesn't. He's not well educated. He doesn't know enough. He does believe in the whole radical Islam terrorism, but that's all. That's all he believes in. That's all he has knowledge on. Yeah, and, and, I, and I feel like that's, that's again, the dangerous part is like when, when we when we buy into this game of kind of separating out the radicals from, you know, actual Islam and, you know, acting like it's two separate things, that really, that has a lot of repercussions, especially when you're dealing with foreign policy, especially when you're dealing with how, how we're going to protect our country and things like that. You know, I, th I think, I forget what the numbers were, but but somebody was citing 
like there, that there's a high percent or a minority percentage of Muslims who support uh, you know, a lot of the like Sharia law and things like that. But it's when you look at how many Muslims there are, that's, you know, even if I forget what the number was, but let's say 20%, 40%, whatever it is, you're talking like hundreds of millions of people that believe in this kind of stuff. That, like that's dangerous. Like we have to take this stuff seriously, especially these extreme beliefs that are just normal to the Quran and Islam. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to the percentages and numbers, um, I say it this way. My motherland again. Iran has 82 million population. 82 million. Okay? About 80% of Iranians not only don't believe in Islam, they don't want to have anything to do with Islam. Are they free? Yeah. 20% of the country is ruling the country. That's when it comes to Islam. Because again, remember, Islam, as much as they try to paint it as religion of peace, their own prophet said, the shadow, the, the heaven is under the shadow of the sword. The motto is divide and conquer, kill or convert. That's all there is to it. Their own prophet have killed 800 people in one night, beheading them using a sword. And then thousands of years later, Supreme Leader of Iran, Khomeini, killed, hunged 3,000 non-Muslim Iranian in one night after he took power. Tell me something has changed about this ideology. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. So it doesn't matter what percentage believe in Sharia, even if 1%. When they can, they will apply it. And when they do that, it's us dying and that's the thing. The only reason I want to have five minutes with President Trump is I'm not going to make it complicated. I'm going to put it this way. For now, we have our Constitution. Under our Constitution, no foreign law shall ever be practiced in America. Sharia, translated to English, means Islamic sacred laws. I rest my case. Yeah. I mean, again, it's one of the... That's all I need to tell him. Absolutely. Now, now, if, no. I, what I wanted to do as well is, you know, as as we're wrapping up, I wanted to let you. I want. I wanted to have a takeaway because it's obviously it's important that we all that you know people that are watching this. They, you know, it's important that they understand this. But if somebody's like, okay, so what? What do I do with this knowledge? Like, I'm just an average Joe, American, random person. I'm not in. I'm not in government. I'm not a leader. But what do we do as everyday Americans with this knowledge of what Islam actually is and how do we apply this to our lives in, in order to hopefully kind of bring back our country? Okay. As an average American, we average Americans create what's known as we the people. As of right now, government works for we the people. Here's what you do. You get well-educated on the topic. When you're well-educated, you pick up the phone, you call your representative, and you tell them, I would like you to take action and put an end into the foreign law being practiced in my country. If you don't, I'm voting you out next time. You write a letter or you email them. I think that's pretty simple. They work for us. They represent us. And when you have enough knowledge on the topic of Islam and Sharia, you can tell them that you as an American are aware that a foreign law is superior to our law and you want it to end. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 in all reality, it, it is that simple. And, and I think that the, the thing that people need to remember too is like, you do have access to your Congress people. Like they do represent you. There's phone numbers you can call. There's emails you can email. There's places you can write letters. Like, and I, and I think a lot of times because we see them on TV all the time and all these cable news shows, they, they seem so far away. They're in DC. Oh, I, I don't have like, no, like literally, like if you were in Washington DC, you could walk into their office. You could, you could talk to their chief yeah. of staff. You, you could possibly even talk to them. Like, you have access to them. And that's something that I think that we as Americans need to remember in all of this is that they work for you. You're their boss. You need to let them know what you feel about it. And you do have access. There's like four ways I just cited that you could get a hold of them. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing. We, we need to always remember, we the people, we the people, stop thinking you're powerless. Stop thinking we're just a bunch of average American. We aren't. We are what makes America, America. So use your rights, the God-given rights of yours that you have. Don't let them take it away. They, they don't even have the position. If they have the power to do it, we have given them the power. It's, time to take. it's not about taking our country back. It's not about taking our rights back. It's about taking our power back. Because we represent this country, not them. We voted them. Well, sometimes it didn't vote for them. But still, voted or not, they work for us. So demand changes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think that's something that we need to, that we definitely need to do. And if you're watching this, take advantage of the opportunity. Reach out, talk to them, call them, whether it's your representative, your senator, even the White House, whatever it might be. Strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. So if people want to follow you, and they want to, you know, keep up on what you're t what you're saying. More information on uh, some of the stuff we've been talking about. What's the best way for them to do that? My website, liveuptofreedom.com. Liveuptofreedom.com has all of my work, articles, videos, daily posts, everything, and all of my social media channel links are on my website. Okay, yeah, definitely. Everybody check that out. You know, follow her on social media. Keep up on what's going on. Again, it's so vitally important that we're keeping up on all of this kind of stuff and understanding what's actually going on because you're not going to get this kind of stuff from mainstream media. You're not going to get this stuff from, from most online news sites and things like that. You need, but you need to be actually educating yourself. And so it's vitally important that, that we do that. So, but Annie, I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's really good. You know, it's really important that we have these kinds of talks, you know. Oh, absolutely. It was my pleasure. And hopefully we can do it again. That, that, that would be great. So, uh, and then everybody else as well. Uh, we're going to be off for uh, the rest of the weekend. Uh, we'll be back next week with a few more shows, that sort of thing. Um, tomorrow over on the American Conservative Movement's uh, Facebook page, we're going to be doing a live stream tomorrow during a lot of the rallies and protests. And we're actually going to have people calling in from a lot of the different rallies across the country and kind of talk about what's going on in each of those states. That way we can kind of try to unify a lot of these groups and voices together as we're letting, Again, letting the government know, hey, you guys are overstepping your bounds. So uh, check that out, the American Conservative Movement's uh, Facebook page, and we'll be going live there uh, tomorrow and uh, with a lot of information. So we'll see you guys then. You can live a long, healthy life 
if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org.